you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. I'm going to turn your attention to two passages of Scripture. The first, I'm going to turn your attention to Numbers chapter 21, and then we'll be going to to Acts chapter 28. And I will be very mindful of your time tonight. It's already been going around. It's already been going around. Somebody said, you got a timer tonight? (laughs) Yes, honey, I do. Anybody know a good marriage counselor? No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (coughs) I'm kidding. Uh, I like to have a little fun. Numbers chapter 21. We'll read verses 8 and 9, if you'll allow me to get a drink. I've been struggling with my voice, so please bear with me. Numbers 21, 8 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten... When he looketh upon it, shall live. Verse number 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Everybody say, he lived. Acts chapter 28, verses 3 through 5. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. I would have checked out. Venom or no venom, I'm done. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hanging on his hand, they said amongst themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And verse number 5 tells us, And he shook off the beast into the fire, and he felt no harm. You may, under, you may ask, well, why is he reading these passages of, of Scripture? Well, if you're wondering that, then you're really going to wonder at my title. But it'll all become clear here in just a moment. 
I want to preach to you from this subject, how to deal with snakes. How to deal with snakes. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands and would you ask God to speak into your life tonight? God, by the authority of your word and by the power of your name, God, I believe that you have spoken into my spirit. I believe that you have given me a word for this church. I believe you have given me a word for this, your people tonight, God. And I pray that your word would go forth and accomplish that for which you have sent it. Let it not rest on deaf ears, God, but open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you are saying to the church. I come against every distraction tonight, God, that would hinder the moving of your spirit. God, I bind it in Jesus' name, and I command it to leave this place, God. Have your way, have your dominion and your authority in this house. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said amen. High five somebody and say, I'm going to teach you how to deal with snakes. How many are glad we're not a snake handling church? My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. These give me the heebie-jeebies. I want to preface, yeah, you know, I want to preface this message at the very onslaught and tell you that I hate snakes. My wife tells me not to use that word. I'm using that word, babe, because I can't think of anything stronger. I absolutely loathe snakes. It was just, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of different accounts. I was working for a pastor here 10 years ago, and he probably wondered what happened to this tarp, but I'm about to tell you what happened to this tarp. We were on a job, and we were using these blue industrial tarps, and so we got them dirty, and I took them back to my house. I was going to clean them up, but being my procrastinating self, I folded the tarp up, and I put it in my shed. Well, come a couple months later, it was a nice day, and I thought, man, I'm going I'm to get those tarps out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power wash them. I'm going to clean them. I drug, that, drug those tarps out of my shed, and I opened up one, and I began to wash it off, and another. And I got to the biggest tarp, the one that I did not want to do. And I began to unfold it. And as I got to the center of that tarp, I folded back a flap. And there was the biggest snake that I have ever seen in my entire life. So what happened to your tarp was, I folded it up back nice and neat. And I drug it by the corner, I put it back in the shed, and I shut the door. And it's probably still there, but I'll get it back to you sometime. It was just a, a, a few short years ago that I, I walked out of my breezeway into my garage, and it was a nice summer day. And, uh, and I'm just going outside to do my thing, and I take a step out and I shut the door and I look down and the snake is slithering into my garage. Now I will tell you I did not, I did scream like a girl. <laughs> but that, fate, that snake had a much uh, more serious fate as it made, it met the business end of a shovel in my, because I hate capital H, K 
capital A, capital T, capital E, I hate snakes. Last week, actually Friday, well, last week we were privileged to go to the lake. And us and the Jordans, we took a trip to, to Kentucky Lake. We love the place, and there are snakes all over that lake. But it was a good, Brother Mick, it was a good week because in all the days that we spent on that lake, I didn't see one. Now I'm thinking, usually we see five, ten a day in the water, and you just kind of leave them alone, and you hope that they leave you alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, you want to see, you want to see Pastor Danny walk on water? Let a snake get in my boat. <laughs> I'll walk on that water. Can I get an amen? So Friday, we loaded up the the boat. And uh, we were making one more day on the lake, and we were going, we were going about 20 miles down the lake to our favorite restaurant. And so I, I got in the boat, and it was parked, it was parked on the side of the dock, and the dock was over on the right side of the boat. And uh, so I, I got on the boat, and I took up my seat in the front on the left because although I like to sleep in, if I'm going to make a 20 mile run up the lake, I, I want to sleep on the way. So I get up where I can stretch out, and Aiden took up his seat next to me on the right-hand side of the boat, and, and Pastor had gotten behind the wheel, and uh, I think Sister Jordan was in the boat, and uh, Cheryl and, and Dylan were the last ones. Spencer was in the boat already. Dylan, they were kind of bringing up the rear, and Dylan comes, and he starts to walk on the dock, and all of a sudden, I look up, and I see my wife's eyes get about that big, and she starts going, hey, 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 hey. And all of a sudden, Dylan, without even looking, he starts doing this. And it wasn't the Holy Ghost. And I looked over on the dock where I had just walked to find a ginormous, in my book, snake sitting on top of the dock right next to Pastor and right next to Aiden. And when Aiden saw that a snake had gotten that close to him, he quickly jumped up and he started making his way over to Dad as, as Dylan and, and, and Mom began to run and flee for their lives. And I watched as that snake went down between the boards and I thought, oh my oh goodness, it's gone. Only to look and have him make one last appearance just to give me the heebie-jeebies. Because he knows as well that I hate snakes. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't like them. I don't like them at all. I didn't come to talk to you about snakes on a leg, and I didn't come to talk to you about rubber snakes here that I've got on the platform, and I didn't, I didn't come to talk, I just... I wanted to, to, to bring my point out a little bit by telling you these, these things and what had happened to me last week. And it began to, began to what happened, began to spark something in me. And as I began to think, as we were at that restaurant that night talking about it, and pastor said, would you stop talking about it? Because those snakes will visit me in my dreams tonight. And as Cheryl began to pull her feet up off the floor and into the booth as we began to talk, All joking aside tonight, there is one snake that we can't run away from. There is one serpent that 
try as hard as we may to avoid that we must learn how to deal with. There is one serpent that we cannot keep from trying to invade our lives, and that serpent that I'm talking about is the devil. We will encounter him. I wish I could tell you that we won't, but we will. We, unfortunately, will meet him from time to time along life's journey. He, he will be constantly trying to inject his poisonous venom into my life. And if I don't learn how to deal with his attacks, and if I don't learn what his moves may be, and I don't learn that he will lay in wait just around a corner or under a stumbling stone at his chance to strike at me, but if I don't learn how to deal with his attacks, then I am certainly doomed for my life. If I can learn that I don't have to be a victim if I can somehow learn that I don't have to be afraid with every rock that I step on and I don't have to be afraid about every road that I travel down just wondering if he's there waiting for me. But if I can learn that I don't have to have a victim mentality but that I can be a victor over the serpent called the devil. He will be in waiting around every corner. He will be there with the same problems. He will be there to come at me with the same struggles. He will be there giving me the same accusations. Then he'll be trying to bring me down and he'll be trying to destroy me every chance that he gets. But if I can just somehow learn that he might bruise my heel every now and then, but in the end I will crush his head. He is a powerful adversary. It would be a mistake to underestimate his abilities. You see, 1 Peter 5 and 8 says it like this. When the writer says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I've heard it said all my life that it's not the roaring lion that you have to worry about. I've always heard that it's not the roaring lion that will attack, but I'm here to tell you, that that is not always true. You see, a lion is so confident and arrogant about his ability that he will sometimes announce his presence still feeling that he can claim his prey. You see, the lion is, a, is bold and it attacks its prey with overwhelming power and force. But the snake comes in many circumstances and attacks in many different ways. And tonight, I want to focus on just a few of the ways that the serpent, that the snake, tries to attack. The first way is through an open door of discouragement. You see, in the Old Testament, we read of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. They faced a snake attack. The Bible calls them fiery serpents. And I believe that this is probably related to the sting of its bite and the venom and the burning of the venom as it began to make its way through the vascular system of the body. Must be, it must be related 
to the swiftness of their ability to attack. You see, this type of snake that is described in our text is the class of poisonous snake known as a striking serpent. They have fangs. They have hollow fangs that are like hypodermic needles that attach to venom sacs that are located beneath their eyes near the hinges of their jaw. You see, these sometimes, these snakes, they give us warning and they coil at the moment ready to attack when they see danger approaching. Sometimes they coil, sometimes they warn us. But I want to tell you that sometimes they do not. One thing that these snakes all have in common is their incredible quickness and the swiftness of their attack. You see, they say that if a sir, it's not that the first bite that you have to worry about with the snake, but it's the second and the third that they attack with such quickness they bite you multiple times before you even realize what has happened. And so they all have this, this in common that they are swift and they are prone to attack. Sometimes there is a warning that proceeds as with a rattlesnake. When you hear the rattle of a snake, you know that that snake senses danger and it's warning you to leave, to flee, because if you continue, I'm going to bite you. But sometimes, just as with a cottonmouth and with a, 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 a copperhead, there is not always a warning of attack. It's not always a coiled snake that is in the grass or beneath a rock that you have to worry about. Sometimes they warn you, and sometimes they just strike at a moment's notice. They leap forward. I'm giving myself the creeps tonight. They leap forward, throwing their fangs into the flesh of their victim. And they inject their poison into the bloodstream incapacitating those who are struck. You see, the Bible describes this kind of fiery attack that Israel suffered in the wilderness. It came swift and viciously, without mercy. It didn't matter if it was a child playing in the backyard or if it was a grandmother sitting on the porch rocking in a rocking chair. The snake struck poison their prey, and slew their victim. The attack came at a time when Israel was suffering great discouragement. They were discouraged because the way the Bible said was hard. I want to pause for a moment and tell you that this is the atmosphere that the striking serpent enjoys finding its victim. Discouraged, discouragement is a favorite tool of the adversary. And I say it's a tool, it's not a weapon, but it is a tool because it's through discouragement that he can pry open the door of our hearts and pry open the doors of our lives and pour in the poison of bitterness that will destroy our very soul. We all know what it's like to be discouraged tonight. No one is immune from discouragement. 
It comes sometimes in, in the form of sh- shredded and, 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 and unfulfilled dreams. Sometimes it's just like Joseph's bloody coat. Sometimes it's an unfulfilled promise. Sometimes, sometimes it's just the darkest trial of our life. Sometimes it's sickness that we didn't expect. Sometimes it's a problem that came out of nowhere. Listen to me tonight when I say that not any one of us can be good enough to escape it. Not one of us can worship loud enough to step uh, to, to sidestep it because it happens to all of us. We all face discouragement. We all have problems. We all have unfulfilled dreams. We've all been hanging on promises that have not been fulfilled yet. And if we allow ourselves and we allow our, our minds to wander there, we become discouraged. And when discouragement happens, our door is open and the serpent comes in and he attacks and bitterness begins to set in. Begins to attack our extremities. It begins to attack our nervous system. And it begins to, to do its work and wreak its havoc in our body. And before we know it, it has incapacitated us. And before we know it, we're struggling for breath. We don't know how we're going to survive the next moment. We're gasping, trying to keep our head above water, just fighting because we don't know where to turn. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Discouragement itself is not the killer. It was not Israel's discouragement that invited the attack of the serpents. Now I want to tell you tonight that it's not discouragement that destroys, but it is how we react to the discouragement that destroys us. Discouragement may be an adv- a, a doorway to defeat, or it may be a stairway to victory. It's all in how you react to the discouragement. It's all how you react in the middle of that situation. It's how you react to that sickness. It's how you react to that doctor's report. It could be your greatest victory, or it could be the very thing that takes you out. We all deal with discouragement. But it is what we do with it. You can open the door for a snake to slip in and destroy you. Or you can open the door for the power of God to deliver. It's all in how you react to the discouragement. Discouragement is not or is simply a tool, not a weapon. And our adversary uses it to open the door for an attack on our soul. The Bible tells us that these snakes attacked not when they were discouraged so much, but when they reacted negatively to the discouragement. It wasn't, it wasn't the discouragement. Sometimes we wonder, sometimes we beat ourselves up because we find ourselves discouraged. And we think, man, this discouragement's going to kill me. This discouragement, if I can just somehow get over this. But it's not the discouragement that'll kill you. But it's what you do with it. It's how you react in those situations. 
It's do you you stay down and you allow the snack or the snake rather to attack you, to bite you, to inject the venom, or do you get up from where you are when you get knocked down and you say, I'm not gonna stay there. I'm not gonna give the adversary one chance. I'm not gonna give him one opportunity. It's what we do. They didn't, the snakes, these serpents that we read about in our text, did not attack just when they were discouraged, but it was when they reacted negatively to their discouragement. The way was hard, and they were discouraged. They began to murmur and to complain. They began to see only the negative and everything that was wrong. They begin to see that the way was hard. They, they begin to complain and say, well, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We should have just stayed where we are, be, we where we were, because we had it better if we just stayed there. There was at least a roof over my head. There was at least food to eat when I was in captivity. They begin to long for what used to be. They begin to long for where God brought them from. They begin to long for the life that God delivered them from. Hear me tonight. Don't you ever let yourself be so discouraged that you start to long for what used to be. Don't you ever don't you ever long for where God brought you from because God delivered you from that place and he has taken you to a brand new place in him. those years of captivity praying for deliverance and now they've been delivered and they're saying it was so much easier had we just stayed where we were you see when we begin to murmur and complain against God's man I'm going to get where you live tonight when we start to murmur and complain against God's man and God's leadership and against God's choices for our lives, we open the door and we invite the attack of a striking serpent. When we begin to complain against the man of God and what God is leading and how God is leading him to lead us and where God has taken us through the man. And when we begin to complain and we begin to backbite and say, does he even know what he's doing? He's brought us to this place to die. He, we should have just stayed where we were. We should never embarked on this journey. When we start complaining and murmuring, I wish I had the voice to preach it like I feel it tonight. We open ourselves up for an attack that will ultimately destroy our soul. You see, they talked against Moses. They talked about the one that led them out of captivity. They began to complain about the manna that God provided six days a week that all they had to go out and do was gather. All they had to do was open the tent door and go out and get, get the manna, and they had food for that day. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to, they didn't have to cook it. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to refrigerate it. 
They didn't have to see that it kept to the next day and would not spoil, but they just opened up the door day after day, and there it was. And they began to complain about God's provision for the lives. They said, our soul loatheth this light bread. They began to see their situation more desperate and worse than what God brought them from. I want to tell you tonight that discouragement is a deceiver. Discouragement will tell you that you're worse off today than you were yesterday. Discouragement will tell you and it will convince you that you had it much better back then than you do now. You had it better in the old place than you do the new place because discouragement will deceive you. And if discouragement can deceive you, then the attack of the enemy is, is, is just on the brink and he's coming after your soul. You see, discouragement makes blessings look like cursings. Discouragement makes God's mercy look like God's cursing. Don't allow discouragement to get you complaining and murmuring because it will deceive you and it will open you up for an attack like you have never seen before in your life. The second way that they attacked, the way that they attack is when God removes His divine providence off your life. The fiery serpents were always there. Everywhere that they traveled, the serpents were there. Everywhere that they went, they were there. Every road that they walked down, the serpents were always there waiting for an opportunity. But the only thing that had held back their attack was the divine providence or the divine protection, protective care, rather, of God. And that is what they begin to complain and murmur about. And so God lifted His hand and He allowed the fruit of their bitterness to come slithering into their camp without any warning. People were asleep in the bed, and they were smitten. Co-workers were at work. They were smitten and taken out. Children lay in their cribs, and the snakes and the serpents came, and they began to attack the children. And their lives were taken. Moms and dads we're in the living room enjoying one another's company when the serpents begin to flood into their tent. And the attack commenced as they begin to be bitten. And that poisonous venom was injected in their bloodstream. And it began to paralyze their extremities. And soon, soon it began to paralyze their lungs and their ability to breathe. And then finally, it paralyzed their heart. And their heart stopped beating. And death happened into that home. When they got up in the morning, 
They didn't know if a snake was waiting on the floor ready to strike underneath their bed. Every day they were vulnerable to an attack of the fiery serpent. So what I want to tell you tonight, our church, the church, is under attack like never before. Our families are under attack like never before. If you don't believe that, then you need to wake up and open your eyes. Marriages are under attack like never before. Our children and our young people are facing attacks that we never had to face. When they go to schools and when they sit in the, in the classroom of a professor and their beliefs and their godly stance and the way that they live their life is constantly mocked and ridiculed because of what they believe and how they choose to live. Our children, our churches, our families are under attack. Much like the children of Israel, we find ourselves in circumstances, in a circumstance rather, where we don't know what lies around the next corner. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know where a serpent is laying in wait, hoping to get a moment to attack us, a moment that we're vulnerable, a moment that we're not paying attention to what's going on in the world and going on in our life. Hear me tonight. It's time that we don't become distracted by the fight. It's time that we don't become distracted by an imminent attack. But it's time that we stand in the midst of adversity that we pull our children and our families close to us and we seek the face of God and we don't allow discouragement to creep in and to open us up for attack. I'm quickly drawn to a close tonight. They repented. In our text, the children of Israel repented. After those untold number of people were smitten and bitten. They repented and they asked Moses, Moses, would you pray for us? Moses, would you, would you talk to God for us? And they, Moses went up the mountain and he sought God. And the Lord said, here is how you deal with the snake. He said, I want you to take brass and I want you to have a metal worker fashion an image of a fiery serpent out of brass and I want you to take that fiery serpent that's made of brass and I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to lift that pole high in the middle of the camp and it shall be that whosoever will lift up their eyes upon that brazen serpent that they that have bitten they shall live. And the Bible tells us that Moses did according to the word of the Lord. And the poison of the serpent was made of no effect when they began to raise that, that, that brazen serpent in the middle of their camp. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. The miracles that took place were a testimony of the method whereby we may handle 
the snakes in our lives. As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up to whomsoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Word says that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Here's, the, here's how you deal with the snake. Here's how you deal with the serpents in your life. You just lift Jesus higher. You just begin to lift him up. You just begin to magnify him. You get your eyes off the serpent. You get your eyes off the attack. And you get your eyes on Jesus. I want to tell you tonight, if you're here, you've had such an attack in your life. You've let discouragement settle in. You've let bitterness take root. You've been poisoned by a serpent in your life. I'm glad to tell you that there's hope for you tonight. Because all you have to do is take a trip back to an old rugged cross. And take a trip back to a cross and look at the one who shed his blood so that you could live. Look back to the one that shed his life-giving blood so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Although the, the serpents come to attack and although there's problems on every side, you can get back to an old rugged cross and you can look at that Savior who was nailed and he was beaten and he died and shed his blood for you. So that you could have life and you could have life more abundantly. So why? Why a serpent? Why the very thing that was killing them? Why make, a, why make an image of the very thing that was killing them? And I believe that the answer to that question tonight is fulfilled in Jesus. And I'll explain to you. Because my Bible says that he became sin for us. He took on the form of the very thing that is choking the very life out of our world. He took on the form of the very thing that we struggle with day in and day out. He, he took on the very form of the thing that meant certain death in our life. That whosoever will, will look upon him shall live and the power of sin will be broken. Tonight, I don't have much strength in my body to preach it like I feel it. I don't have strength in my voice to preach it like I feel it tonight. But I'm here to, to speak to somebody today. That I'm just going to tell you that you need to get your eyes back on Jesus. You need to get your eyes off the serpent. You need to get that fear out of your life. You need to lay it aside. You need to pay it no attention and say, I see you there. I know that you're just waiting for a moment. But guess what, devil? You're never going to get that moment because I'm never going to take my eyes off of him. I'm going to keep my eyes on the one who bled and died for me. Come on, would you raise your hands in this building? Would you raise your hands in this building? Would you cry out to the Lord? Come on, would you cry out to the Lord tonight?
I'm closing tonight. You see, for us to understand how to deal with the venom of a striking serpent, we must always understand and, and realize that he's too quick for us. He's waiting in the wilderness of life, hoping to find us in a moment of weakness. Hoping, hoping that he'd just have a chance to get one bite in, to get one pump of that venom into our bloodstream. We've all felt the prick of the fangs before. We felt the burning of the venom as it began to course through our body. But I want to tell you tonight that if you're here and you've been bitten, and you've been attacked, and it could be that the venom is already starting to run its course in your life, and you still you feel yourself becoming numb to the things of God. You find yourself sitting in a service just like we had tonight and the power of God begin to move. But you're paralyzed and you don't feel that you can move and you don't feel like you can contribute anything. You don't feel like you don't feel like you can even muster enough strength or enough breath to get involved. Maybe that's you tonight. And maybe you've come to this place wondering, well, preacher, that's great. That's all fine and dandy. But what about me? I've already been bitten. I've already been attacked. What am I supposed to do now? I want to tell you that there is an antidote. I want to tell you that there is an antidote for the poison that the enemy injects into our life. I want to tell you tonight that worship and praise is your antidote. I want to tell you that worship and praise is your only hope. I want to tell you that worshiping and praising in the midst of your darkest hour is the only hope that you have in this world. I want to tell you that worship and praising when you don't feel like it Worship and praise and when that venom is burning you from the inside out and you feel like your life is about to leave your body, that worship and praise are the only thing that will bring life back into your body. It'll be the only thing that will bring life back into your soul. The antidote is simply to lift up Jesus. You see, when He is lifted, life is available to all who look upon Him. When we lift Him in praise and adoration, when we lift Him in worship, our worship, hear me tonight, is just not just something that we do prior to the preaching to fill a time slot. But we must understand that our worship and our praise is a snake-killing weapon.
My word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the snakes begin to gather from every corner of the house, when they begin to come from every corner of my life, and I look and they're here, and I look, they're here, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that through my praise and my worship, the Lord will raise up a standard in my life. When we worship, something happens. When we begin to praise, it's our antidote for the attack. Some say that there are some things that you just can't praise your way out of. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I want to tell you tonight that there is not an attack that is enemy driven. There's not anything that the devil can do to you. There's nothing that he can bring in your life that you can't worship your way out of. You may feel like it's no use. You may feel like that it's just, it's just vain repetition. And I've, I've dealt with this for so many years. And I, I come in service after service. And I praise and I worship. And nothing happens. But I'm here to tell you tonight that even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it, even when it looks dark in my life, even when it looks like death is imminent, that when I begin to worship and praise, God is working in the background. He's working on my behalf, and He is the antidote for the attack of the serpent. I close with this tonight. Stay standing. We read an account of the Bible that the enemy was come against Judah. And Jehoshaphat stood on the steps of the temple. All of Judah with their wives and their children stood before the temple of the Lord. The problem was that the enemy was ravaging the countryside. They were, build, they were burning the villages and they, they were conquering the cities and they were overcoming all opposition. And Jehoshaphat had no army to amount to anything in the face of the enemy. He was totally vulnerable. There was nothing that Jehoshaphat could do. They were surely going to burn the temple and the palace. They would take Jehoshaphat captive. They would ravage the women and kill all the children in the, in the land. And they stood in the presence of God and they begin to ask what are we going to do? You ever been there? What am I? I, I thought that in a boat Friday. When that snake gets in this boat, what am I going to do? You laugh and I'm serious. What am I going to do? Jehoshaphat 
bowed his head and he prayed. And he said, you told us if we sought your face, God, that you would hear our prayers. He said, we've never needed you like we need you now. It's the worst day of our lives. You ever wake up in the morning and say, this is the worst day of my life. The Lord spoke through the prophet Gehazi and he said that when you go out tomorrow, here's your answer, when you go out tomorrow, don't be afraid because I'm going to fight the battle for you. He said, the Lord said, I'm going to take care of the enemy. Don't you worry about that. He said, hey, I don't want you to misunderstand. You still have to go. You still have to get up and you have to go and you have to face the enemy. But when you go, I'm going to be the one that's going to be doing the fighting. And when I'm done, nobody is going to prosper against you. When I'm done, the victory is going to be yours. Today, tonight in this place, the Lord sent me here to tell you that you're still going to have to fight. You're still going to have to go. But the victory... Will be yours. So the next morning, when the gates of Jerusalem opened and the army began to move toward the wilderness, I want you to know that it must have been the strangest sounding army that the world had ever heard or seen. You see, there were no chariot wheels crackling on the gravel, there was no clapping of armor, there were no sounds of marching boot-clad soldiers. Instead, all that could be heard echoing in the hills as they marched out of Jerusalem was a song of praise and worship. They begin to say, Praise ye the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. Praise the beauty of His holiness they didn't go with swords and spears and shields, but they went with a song of praise and worship. And when they sang and they worshiped, the Lord set an ambush against the enemies of Judah. And they, they were smitten. They turned. They were confused and they began slaying one another. They were so confounded. ambush was that the enemy became confounded about who their enemy really was. And they began fighting and killing each other. You see, when Israel got to praise ye the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. What I want you to know is at that moment when they got to that course or they got to that verse, the battle was already over. The enemy was slain and all they had to do was go and pick up the spoils that were left. I wish somebody believed what I was preaching tonight. When you begin to praise and you begin to sing praises, by the time you get done with the first verse, before you can ever sing the course one more time, the battle is already over. 
Lord has already stepped in and he has already taken the battle over and he has already overcome the enemy on your behalf. If you will lift him, if you will lift him tonight, if you will praise him, if you will worship him, you will confound the attack of the serpent in your life. Worship on the worst day of your life. Worship in the midst of the darkest hour. Worship when there's a bad report from the doctor. Because when you begin to worship, when you begin to say hallelujah, anyhow, I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what it looks like. But I'm going to worship God. And God's going to fight me. Tonight, this is how I'm going to do our altar call. Maybe I spoke, maybe I preached to you. Maybe you're the one that needed this message tonight. Maybe it's you that's in the fight of your life. But we're going to worship God before we ever leave this place. And the attack of the enemy is going to be confounded off your life. God's going to step in. If you're facing a situation in your life, I want you to run down to the front right now. No problems in the house. No sickness in the house. Come on, if you are in the fight for your life, if you need God to do something in your life, I want you to come down to this front. And we're going to do it differently tonight. We're not going to beg God. We're not going to say, oh, God, please. God, would you please do it? God, would you please do it? But we're going to come down with our hands lifted high and say, praise ye the Lord for your mercy endureth forever. Praise you, God, in the beauty of your holiness. God, you're bigger than any problem. You're bigger than any fear. You're bigger than any doubts. Come on, the the music's beginning to play, and they're getting ready to sing tonight. We're going to worship tonight. We're going to worship until we push off the attack of the enemy.
of your darkest hours will crush Satan under my feet. Heal from time to time, but we will crush his head. 